This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And not so usual, but kind of usual, I'm here with my co-host, Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Junior Professor of Marketing and a brand identity theorist. Hey, Barbara, I'm excited to be here. It's been a while since we've uh, had an opportunity to come. It's been a really long time. I know, I'm excited. I think it's like been a month. Like a month. Yeah. It's crazy. So when you, when I'm not here, you go by yourself, right? I do, yeah, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but uh, and we miss you greatly. Yeah. so it's uh, great to be but back. To in me, the doing it by myself, I don't. You know. love it. I know you do. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I was I listening like to the shows with else. you and, with you and Keith, and they're fantastic. Yeah, Keith is really good. Yeah. He's he does his homework. He's great. <laughs> 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 Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and then we replay it several times during the week. And we have a very interesting show lined up for you today. Today is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yeah. Yes. So we're all fasting here yes. as we talk on the radio. We're not supposed to really be working, but this right. isn't but work. This isn't work. <laughs> yeah, this is all so, fun. Yeah, so yes. this is fine. Yeah, right. um, but if you are celebrating the holiday, it's Happy almost holidays. sundown. You get to eat, yep. break the fast pretty soon. Very so. cool. Hopefully you're not irritated because you're hungry. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Atoning think, for your I, I think they actually call that now. There's a new term for that, Barbara. It's called hangry. Hangry. Right? Yes. <laughs> You've heard but this. But I think it's different if you're doing it for religious reasons. Yes. You're not yes. allowed to You're not be allowed hangry. to be hangry. No. <laughs> or at least yeah. not tell anyone. you got to feel like you're you're thinking about your sins that exactly. you're atoning for. <laughs> right. So hopefully everybody atoned and we're almost at sundown, so everybody's not hangry. That's right. And we have several really interesting guests today. At 5 o'clock, our first guest is Amish Shah. He's the president of Alter, A-L-T-R, Created Diamonds. And we're going to talk about the marketing of man-made diamonds and changing consumer perceptions Mm. now that the FTC has recently acknowledged that created diamonds are, in fact, real diamonds. And i got to ask you a question, Barbara. You have on your right hand. I mean, it's blinging here in the studio. Is that a real diamond? I'm sure that's a real diamond. Oh, yes. <laughs> in fact, She looked at me like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. You think this might be cubic zirconia? No way, Americus. No, no? this that's is real. A, not a man-made diamond. It's my mother's diamond. That's Been awesome. passed that down. Absolutely. Diamonds but are brands, the, right? Yeah, so yeah. De Beers and yeah. a diamond is forever. So that's what we're going to talk about with Amish. And he's been in the business for a long time mm-hmm. as well. And then at 5.30, we're going to talk to a fellow researcher, a postdoctoral research fellow at Carnegie Mellon University, and he's got a new piece of research in the Journal of Consumer Research, which is one of our preeminent journals here in consumer behavior, Mm -hmm. and it's called Seeing Stars, How the Binary Bias Distorts the Interpretation of Consumer Ratings. Wow. Um, And he will talk to us about that research, and he does some other research. Hopefully, he knows about that as well, and we can talk about that. <laughs> yes. I love that segment, Barbara, because, uh, you know, every uh, now and again, we like to bring in the gurus. This, <laughs> we call this Marketing Matters, and, so, and you know, we like to invite the scholars to come in and talk about the specific cutting-edge research papers that are coming out as we speak. Right. And, and so, this is important for how people evaluate reviews, because we huge. know today, Generation C, Millennials, they seriously yes. make their decisions based on customer reviews. Right. And they're pretty sophisticated at using these reviews, but he's going to talk about a persistent 
bias mm. that um, really distorts the way they use the reviews. Good so stuff. it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. what he has to say. And then at six o'clock, we have Mike Ney, who's the VP of Business Strategy at Huge, and that's a consulting firm whose clients include nearly 20% of the Fortune 100 mm. and more than 10% of the Fortune and Global 500. And he's going to give us an update, update on Nike. A Nike update, ladies which and gentlemen. Is, uh, America's We're very specialty. Yes. I see you're wearing Under Armour, however. I am wearing Under Armour, <laughs> but I actually want I have purchased new Nike uh, recently. In just because. But you know what? Yeah. I was going to ask you this. I was going to wait till he comes, but I'll just tell you. I'm okay. going to ask you again. Sure. Because I remember you. I dissed it. Yeah. <laughs> I did. You're right. But it was interesting, Barbara, because I had to jump off the bandwagon because I was so distraught when my one of my heroes, Lance Armstrong, was found out to be a cheater, and I had all his gear. I literally got rid of his gear. Uh-huh, but now, right. I, now I ha- now I have but a reason. But you remember all the women's stuff. I do. And I personally think that's part of the reason they're doing this controversial. Like, it's so certainly we'll see, possible. We'll, uh, we'll see. How we'll that see. And how I'm really interested, and we'll wait till 6 o'clock to find out, uh-huh. how America's Reed, Uh-oh. the brand identity theorist, yes. deals with these different issues because yes. you know there's the woman issue and yes. now there's the Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, yeah, issue. all kinds of yeah, conflict. All... My identity, I got like you know yeah. clothes are just what causing all kinds of exactly. stuff for me these days. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, exactly. Interesting. So I am interested in that, and mm-hmm. I guess he's going to tell us a little bit about the financial implications. Yeah, I'm excited to hear yeah, about to that. To hear that, so he'll have a very different perspective, presumably. Mm-hmm. And then at six thirty, the last half hour, Americus and I will be willing to answer any questions you might have. To... Yes, and I, this is going to be absolutely exciting. <laughs> oh, God, Listeners, one eight four four Wharton is the number one eight four four nine. Four two seven eight six six, and today you will be trying to stump Professor Khan and <laughs> Professor Reed, and I bet we bet you can't do it. Yeah, you can't stump. We'll, an- we'll make it up. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. That's but. right. That's right. Seventeen percent of all statistics are made up on the spot. Right, exactly. uh, <laughs> you so. cannot stump us. That's just you can. not possible. It, it's not just possible. Try. Just try it. Do that right. at six thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time, listeners. Okay. Well, all clearly right. we have a packed show tonight, so let's jump right in and talk to our first guest, Amish Shah. Hello. Welcome. How are you? Oh, we're fine. We're apparently. doing very. I don't have a diamond, but uh, I'm doing pretty well, Amish. So we're <laughs> going to talk about. I'm oh, sorry, I interrupted you. What did you say? No, I said hopefully soon you'll be looking for a bigger one. Oh, oh. That, that's what I'm hoping. Yes, you are correct, sir. So <laughs> let before we get into this topic, which is a very interesting topic from a marketing point of view, because mm-hmm. clearly diamonds, you know, and scarcity and all this other stuff, there's been a lot marketed about diamonds, and De Beers is a very big name in diamonds and talking about their reaction. But before we talk about the industry, let's talk a little bit about you um, and tell us a little bit about your background and how you got where you are. Uh come from a family that's been in the uh, diamond business for almost 85 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, I'm third generation and been in the business now 26 years. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, with a core of technology growing up, I wrote a book at the age of 13 <laughs> on oh, wow. uh, space programming. And being that the family was in jewelry and you're traditional, you're told that, guess what? You're going in the jewelry business. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the early 20s, I came across the technology that almost at that time, and the first time I brought it to the market in 2006, everybody's like, you're crazy. Can somebody actually grow a real diamond? Mm. 
Wow. Now, let me, I see here that before we get into the diamonds, I do want to talk a little bit about where you, so I see that you went to, to school, to college in Mumbai. Yes. So did you grow up uh, in India or did you grow up in the U.S.? I actually grew up in India. I went to a school in a small town in India in Gujarat and uh, then went to college in Mumbai and then I moved to U.S. Uh, in 2000. And so you said this is several generation jewelry business. Is it an Indian business or a U.S. business? Or? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Indian. Uh, my grandfather started the business. We've been jewelers since 1933. And just before we get into all these issues, it, it, I mean, I, re- I remember when I was in India, you know, I felt like there was kind of cultural differences in the appreciation of jewelry. Like, for example, like I think the gold there has higher carats than the gold here. Or uh, is my memory correct on all of that? Or Absolutely. Uh, traditionally, Indians have always seen gold and diamonds as an investment hmm. versus a consumable luxury. And that's why the gold carriage is like 22 carats, which is almost 90% purity. And the diamonds they have always uh, used for jewelry are almost like absolutely microscopic clean versus mm. many other parts of the world. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting, yeah. So is that part of why your family was in this business? Or, I mean, it... it seems like it would be related to all the kinds of things. Uh, we've been in the jewelry business since granddad uh, from Kolkata, which is, if you remember, the East India Company was formed there. And he actually worked with the royal family there making their jewels. Oh, wow. And wow. that's how the whole story starts. And uh, slowly with what he was doing in distributing among the richer families in India all over the country and after independence it turned into a proper jewelry house and then later on of course as time passed when dad got on board and we got into the business of exporting to other countries finally bringing me to America and uh, starting to work in US. So when your grandfather was in it was it just diamonds or was all kinds of jewelry at the time? It was actually jewelry. That's the most beautiful part is that even today in New York at our headquarters in my office, I have the original designs that were uh, put on like thin tissue, like in a paper where they designed and put vegetable paint when they presented to a customer. It was handmade diamond and gemstone jewelry. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, I'm assuming this is a fairly expensive uh, product, yeah? So what, what, is, what give us a sense of the price point? Uh, I guess out then it was a whole different story, but today you're talking with pieces, uh, if it was in dollars, something that would run from a few thousand dollars to a few hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. So, so before, just before we get into it, I just kind of just want to see how this goes, because I'm interested in family businesses also. Mm-hmm. So your grandfather started it, then your father came in. Did he radically change the business, or mm-hmm. he was just building on what your grandfather had done? Actually, uh, he moved into the export business, uh, where he's completely continuing selling to the domestic consumers. So, granddad started a business where diamonds came into India, he made jewelry, and he sold them to the final consumers, 
which were in India usually the families are buying. You know, it's not an individual purchase. The families bought jewelry. Uh, dad actually started shipping goods to customers in, like, he had customers in America, he had customers in Belgium. So he started the export part of the business and still kept only a small part of the jewelry go, uh, growing. So that was that me coming in. in yeah, now we're up to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so me coming in, what happened was I was again affiliated to jewelry more than just plain diamonds. So, like in India, they said, you know, a lot of things skip a generation. Mm. I went back to how dad, uh, granddad was, where jewelry became important and getting it to the consumer, to what they wanted. And that's where my whole journey started. And so when you're talking about these three generations, were those natural diamonds or those were also man-made? Or t- tell us a little bit about what all of that means, those of us who don't know. Uh, they were all diamonds. Uh, with the FTC regulation, uh, today there is nothing like natural diamonds. The word natural has been removed. Hmm. So all the three generations until recently, uh, we've been in mined diamonds, diamonds that are unearthed from, like, you know, mined hmm. from the earth. Uh, and man-made, which is created diamonds, uh, we've had in the marketplace for the last two years. Only two. So, so before, okay, so mine diamonds, like what do they look like when they're in the dirt? Do they look, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that look like? What's that process like? Mm-hmm. Uh, mine diamonds uh, will look like a, I don't know, like a marble, like a white piece of almost, you would say uh, sugar mm. that's not polished. When it's absolutely excavated from the earth, and then the artisans actually polish, putting faceting to, uh, mm. to the wheels and bring out the refraction from the crystal, mm. which is when, you know, when you have it in a store and you have a ring on your finger and you move it left to right, mm-hmm. light goes in and you see that beautiful sparkle. Yeah. Okay, so those uh, are mine diamonds. And now what's a man-made diamond then? Right. How is it man-made in what sense? A created diamond is basically born from a diamond. So the very first diamonds we created were actually grown from a thin sliver of a mine diamond. Uh, think of it like as thin as a hair, and it looks uh, or feels like a wafer. And if you put this its wafer in a proprietary reactor, we raise the temperature in the mid-2000 Fahrenheit range, mm-hmm and pumping a combination of gases. Now, if I ask somebody to visualize it, think of it like Star Trek, (laughs) when they close the chamber, (laughs) and gases came in, Mm -hmm. and he would disappear. Well, here, the difference is Mm -hmm. that the carbon from the gases start bonding Mm. with the seed, and the uh, diamond crystal starts growing. Interesting. This diamond crystal, at a certain size, is then removed from the chamber, which is a created diamond rough, just like you know when we said when it came from the mm-hmm. earth. Mm-hmm. This mm. is then cut and polished into a beautiful diamond. So, mm-hmm. are these man-made diamonds then less expensive? Yeah, because I was thinking like, this, is this process faster? So then, it, you know, there is a there's some sort of cost efficiency, like Barbara's saying, or what? Actually, so one part that I would like to add is that. Created diamonds are everything that a mine diamond is, 
only better. Oh. All ultra-created diamonds are actually type 2A diamonds. This is something very unique that most people have never heard of. Like, what is a type 2A diamond? Right. What is type it? Type 2A diamond, it's less than 2% of the world's diamonds. It is the purest diamond crystal found in Earth. So if you're referring to a diamond, the Kohinoor, the... You know, the Richard Burton diamond that he gave to Elizabeth Taylor? Yeah. That those were all type 2A diamonds. They are the purest diamond crystals. Every ultra-created diamond is actually type 2A. Mm. So then they're more expensive than mine diamonds? They're a better value. A consumer would get almost a 50% larger diamond than they would for the same money in a mined diamond. Wow, that must so, play havoc with the diamond business. Uh, well, that's why you have me here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you this, Amish. So, this is when, when how, is this technology? Of, is this your technology? Is this proprietary? Do you own the process to do this, or is this something that is you know part of the competitive environment for all folks who make diamonds? No, the technology by which we grow is proprietary. Uh, the core of how a diamond is grown actually was from 1951 when General Electric and Union Carbide actually really first synthesized diamonds. Hmm. So that's where it started from. For It took 60 years and uh, basically refining and working on the technology to come to a point to define a proprietary process. Mm-hmm to grow a beautiful ultra-created diamond. But just to be just to be clear, just for clarification with our viewers, these diamonds are not more expensive, but you get bigger diamonds for the same money? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Because I didn't quite understand whether yes, or not... actually, so you actually get a 50% larger diamond for the same money. I see. Now, and I read when I was looking at this that De Beers, which is probably the most well-known name in diamonds, I think uh, you could disagree, but um, they can they have their own proprietary process to create these diamonds as well. Is that true or are they different than yours or? Uh, they have a process of creating diamonds, too, because, you know, they've been in the business for a long time and they used to be in the industrial uh, diamond and now entering into the gem quality diamonds uh, from they have made an announcement about two months ago. Uh, though nothing has been delivered to the market as yet. Mm-hmm. And what I read is they're going to do it under a different brand name. They're not going to do it under the De Beers name. Hmm. Yes, that's uh, right. Wow. Interesting. So to me, that suggests that they want to make a distinction between these two brands. And I, when I read that, not knowing much about this, it, I thought it was... Because like what I read, and you can tell me if this is right also, that... that um, they try to limit the amount of production of diamonds to keep the price higher oh. um, at some point. And I think De Beers was behind some of that. And so if they're going into this other type of diamond or diamond creation, um, I-, I would imagine they want to try to keep their price premiums on their original De Beers diamonds or Tiffany diamonds. or any- How is that going to... Are you in the business of disrupting this diamond business? Uh I'm disrupting, I'm working to disrupt the entire thought process here. Uh, You know, diamonds have always, exactly how you said that, it's been a very controlled product that has come to the marketplace for years. 
uh, well, it's not 1950s today, this is 2018, is what we're bringing to the consumers today, we don't even have middlemen, you know? We are the only vertically aligned house that is growing the diamonds, cutting and polishing and creating beautiful jewelry that we bring to the consumer through our retailers. So number one, we don't have the typical 11 hands Right, so that's the definition of a disruptor. Yeah. (laughs) Cutting margin. And the other side, so the winner here is the consumer. The consumer is the one who's getting the bigger and more beautiful diamond. Now let me ask you this. Uh, let me ask you this. Let me jump in, Amish, because this you're touching hmm. on a really important point that Barbara uh, has kind of teed up here, and that's the notion, and you mentioned this notion of the consumer. It seems to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, that the average consumer doesn't understand all these nuances about, well, this is the man-made diamond, this is the mine diamond, and here's how it's better, and, and all of these kind of technical, almost scientific kinds of details. So how do you communicate? What's the what's the strategy? Do you try to communicate this to the consumer? And, and, and if so, how do you do that? How do you, how do you communicate to them what you believe is your unique selling proposition for a man-made diamond? Absolutely. I, what we've done is that the diamond industry has very little educated the consumer over years of what their choices are. Aren't there six C's of a diamond? Uh, four C's. Oh, four C's? <laughs> yeah, Barbara, four P's. <laughs> four C's. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, but what we have always, so that's why the education of the consumer is limited to what the salesperson tells them, typically, you know? Mm-hmm. What we have done is taken a very strong initiative of educating our salespeople in the stores mm. who very simply further let the consumer know that a created diamond is a real diamond mm-hmm. that is grown above the earth. Physically, chemically, and optically, they're the same diamond, mm-hmm. and the choice is there. And with that choice, that choice being to, to choose between a mine diamond versus a man-made diamond, Amish. Absolutely. Okay. And you'll be surprised that when the consumer is given transparency and clarity about their choice, they make a decision far easier. Today, when a consumer goes to a retailer that carries alter-created the consumer is not put through the whole process of having to go through or look through a microscope, look through this, Mm -hmm. because we're using so many tools aligned with technology that they can comfortably and confidently, most important, Mm. make a decision. And Alter Created, that is your brand name? Yes, Alter is us, Alter is our brand. So, and you sell direct to the end user. You don't sell in, um, like you wouldn't sell in a in a jewelry store or? No, we sell through the jewelry store. Oh, you we do sell? We sell directly to consumers. Okay. What we do is we sell through retailers. Like uh, we have respectable retailers in the United States, like Helzberg Diamonds. Mm. We have Borsheim's, which is the largest freestone, uh, sorry, freestanding store in America, both Berkshire Hathaway companies. So we work with very respectable retailers that believe in education and choice for the consumer. So, like, when I looked at um, diamonds at Costco, I understood, except four C's, I guess that's what it is, but apparently Costco tried to make this price-quality comparison easier to parse by talking about these scales on these C's. The C's are like color, cut, 
clarity, clarity yeah. and carrot, I guess. And yeah. those those all can be kind of put on a scale. And then you would, for example, the easy one is carrots. You would pay more for a larger, um, or but the color, I guess, I don't. That takes more sophistication. What's a good color or not color? But apparently, there's some some colors are cost more. Clarity, I would imagine. That's what you were talking about. It seems like earlier, clear. The clearer, the better. I guess, right? So, see, that's the beauty. Both are diamonds. You know, when you look at a mine diamond or a created diamond, so the four C's stay intact, and every ultra created diamond follows all the four C's. So, we're not confusing the consumer. We're actually giving them more clarity in terms of understanding it by giving them the information by tools. Hmm. that are easy for them to understand. So can you, back to America's question, can you give us some price, like what's a one carat or a clear or a color? How do all those, what are are we talking about numbers here? So a beautiful one carat uh, VS, which is very slightly included, like almost microscopic clean diamond, you know, one carat would be $42.99 at a Hildeberg diamond store. That's the retail price. That would be retail. Now, and that's and that's the per- that's the man-made one. Yeah, that's the ultra-created one. Okay. Now, for the same exact price, you would almost be struggling to buy a similar quality for a zero point seven carat diamond. Oh, if I it see. Was mine. Gotcha. Zero point seven. I see. I see. And so, but that's that's fascinating though because for the same price you get more. But let me ask you, yeah. if, if you put the the man-made diamond and the mine diamond in front, the two diamonds, can an expert tell the difference? Can an expert look at them and say, "Oh, well, this is the man-made one, or this is the this is the uh, mined one"? No, no. Until you use sophisticated equipment, they're both diamonds. It is not possible. Hmm tell the difference between a mined or a created diamond. Wow. Well, They're both real diamonds. Mm-hmm. We can't forget that. Mm-hmm. So some of the marketing magic in this diamond business is going to come in the setting or the jewelry or like, you know, the champagne they sell, they give you at Tiffany's or something, right? I mean, you're going to see different price points on all of this, but it's going to be something different than the stone itself. See, the marketing magic in this is the size. One thing where Alter's core marketing focus is that, you know, we have traditionally always heard about diamonds being, a, you know, diamond sparkle. What we forget is that she is the one that sparkles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my heart just warmed. That was very beautiful. It sounded like a great commercial there, Amish. That was a fantastic and, But program. that's exactly the part that, you know, like created diamonds are all that a diamond can be only better Uh. because when she gets the opportunity to wear a diamond that she desires for the inside you know when you really if you ask if you took a focus group study and you ask girls who purchase diamonds or you know during the engagement they were she always compromised on the size she really wanted Mm. Mm. interesting that's an interesting insight so this your your whole marketing play, your whole marketing play, the way you're positioning it, and you've stuck to this as much as we've tried to push you in other directions, is basically <laughs> on size. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you have very top quality diamonds and you get more for your money, mm-hmm. essentially. 
more diamond. Larger diamond, more beautiful, and the impact it has on her. Interesting. And how, what, how big is the engagement ring market part of diamonds? Mm. I mean, people buy diamonds for men even, but for other things. Are you mostly in the engagement ring market? Eighty-five uh, percent of our revenue is engagement diamonds. Interesting. Mm. And let me ask you this, Amish, we're running up on time here, but so the marketing plan you mentioned was a big push was inside the store where there's a direct one-to-one uh, communication between the salespeople and the end consumer. Uh, what are some of the yeah. other things that you're doing too? Because it seems like you'd have to get the word out. You need to brand this, you know, and that's what you're doing. You need to Absolutely. brand this, this type of diamond. What other things are you doing in addition to that? I think, uh, so the few uh, initiatives we're taking is, one is very strongly, we've had excellent support from uh, media who's consistently educating the consumers. You'll see articles every other day from Forbes to Financial Times to at that business level. And the consumer media is starting to talk about this in a big way. Mm. The other side, we're working with retailers to do events to bring consumers in the stores to actually give them the opportunity to see this choice. Uh, we're still a family-owned company. We're not a corporate or a major house. So marketing is still done in a little more different way. I would say more guerrilla marketing mm. rather than the traditional marketing. And lastly is the salespeople are the biggest tools in the jewelry industry. And when they are empowered with the knowledge to present this choice to the consumer, they are closing sales every single day. Wow. Wow. One interesting story. I didn't expect it to be this interesting. Wow, but Amish cool. Shah, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for your time, Barbara. Thank you, Marcus. You're very welcome. And, and, uh, yeah, I was going to say, if you want to learn more about Amish, you can go to www.alter, which is A-L-T-R dot NYC, New York City. www.alter.nyc. Up next, Matthew Fisher of Carnegie Mellon University will be discussing some of his latest research on consumer ratings. You're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 